Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. You probably needed an extra week to read through Jeremiah. I hope you're caught up, and we're going to look at Ezekiel today as we're reading through the Bible. You're probably going to need a couple of weeks to read Ezekiel. (laughs) Ezekiel is not the easiest book to read through, and I'm going to tell you that I didn't realize until I started studying Ezekiel that 50, 50 years ago, that sounds like a lot. 50 years ago, I preached out of Ezekiel, and I've not preached out of Ezekiel since. (laughs) I was 15 years old. It was my first sermon out of Ezekiel 33, about the watchman on the wall. And I pulled that first sermon out not too long ago and looked at it, and it made me appreciate so much those people who had to listen to that first sermon. Today, we're going to look in chapter one. Now, it's going to be a few minutes before you write down anything, so I don't want you to break out into a sweat or fever. I want to share a few things about Ezekiel. The book is named after its author, Ezekiel, who was a priest, and then God changed his vocation to prophet. His name means God will strengthen, and the writings in the book of Ezekiel have struck a lot of people as strange and difficult. In fact, tradition says that the Jewish rabbis would not even allow their young men to read the book of Ezekiel until they were 30 years old. And the reason was they didn't want them to be discouraged at how hard the scriptures were to understand and then despise them. I want to give you the background Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And three different campaigns, three different times, Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and eventually destroyed Jerusalem. But the first time that he attacked Jerusalem was in 605 BC. Jehoiakim was the the king of Judah at the time. And he and Nebuchadnezzar carried off some key hostages, including in that group was Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and we're going to look at Daniel next week, and some of his friends. Well, about 9 to 10 or 11 years later in 597 B.C., because of Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar attacked him again and brought Jerusalem to submission a second time. And this time, Nebuchadnezzar carried off 10,000 hostages. Ezekiel was in that group. And then later, in 586 BC, Babylon came back and leveled Jerusalem and pretty much put Judah uh, under siege. Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel were contemporaries. So they're prophesying, you know, overlapping, but they're prophesying the same time during the exile. 
Ezekiel was 25 years old, probably when he was captured, or maybe 30 years old. And five years after he was captured, he began his prophetic ministry and he prophesied for about 22 years. His messages deal with God and God's judgment. And and it's interesting that Ezekiel deals more with the the character and the attributes of God more than the other prophets. And someone has put it this way, that Jeremiah was the prophet of the father and Isaiah was the prophet of the son because he talked about Jesus coming, even though he didn't call the name Jesus. And that Ezekiel was the prophet of the spirit because he talks about God and the spirit of God moving in so many different ways. He's a relatively young man, 30 years of age, and that's the time when the priests began their ministry from about 30 until the age of 50 or a little longer, the priest would serve. To say that he was unusual would be speaking lightly. Uh, W.F. Albright described Ezekiel. He said it this way, one of the greatest spiritual figures of all time in spite of his tendency to psychic abnormality a tendency which he shares with many of the spiritual leaders of mankind. That's a, that's a nice way to put someone appears crazy. I'm going to start saying they suffer from psychic abnormality. He's in a foreign land, recently captured. He's been relocated to the most powerful city on earth, about 600 miles away from home. And he's in a community along the side, the river of Chebar, which was southeast of the city of Babylon. And there were two kinds of people in that exile. Some of the people just would not acknowledge why they were in exile. They just couldn't believe that it was the judgment of God. And so the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel, you find him speaking of the judgment of God, and that's the reason they're in exile. There was another group of people in that exile who were in great despair. They knew that they were suffering because of the judgment that God allowed to happen. And so the last chapters, chapters 33 to 48, are messages of hope and speaks about the millennium and how God's going to restore the, the Jewish people one day. But Ezekiel is, gives them a message of hope. And then there's some the chapters in between, chapters 25 to 32, that talk about the surrounding nations of Judah and how God is going to take care of them also or bring judgment to them also. The Old Testament prophets were unusual people. And Ezekiel's probably one of the most unusual of them all because he acts out a lot of his sermons. He portrays different things. He uses object lessons. Uh, God has him do some strange things, had him lay on his right side for about a year and then lay on his left side for several days. And then he, he, there's times when he wouldn't speak for, for days on end. And, and, and so there's just a lot of, you're going to read this when you read Ezekiel. You're going to find that, that he had some, what appeared to be psychic abnormality. And he was doing it because God told him to do it. But people looked at him like, you're, you're a, some kind of crazy person, but he was doing it, trying to get people to hear him. The problem was that when God called him and told him that he was going to preach, in fact, God basically said, Ezekiel, I'm calling you to proclaim my word, but the people aren't gonna listen to you. I can relate to that. 
That's some way to start a ministry, isn't it? God says, you go speak, but they're not going to listen to you. There are a couple of phrases that I want to call your attention to in the book of Ezekiel that are keys to helping understand what he's got to say. One of those phrases is the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. It's used 50 times in the book of Ezekiel. And the other phrase is that they shall know that I am the Lord. That word, that that phrase, they shall know that I am the Lord, occurs 70 times in the book of Ezekiel. Before Ezekiel begins his ministry, God pulls back the curtain and lets him see a vision of Almighty God. Now, that's not unusual to the prophets. If you think of Isaiah, in chapter 6, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the book of Revelation that John writes about the tribulation and the second coming of Christ, in chapter 1, what's the whole chapter about? A vision of the resurrected Christ. And so, when there's a difficult ministry that's about to be performed, God begins by letting them see himself. And that's one reason that Ezekiel has a vision of God. And chapter one is one of the most vivid glimpses of God. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that you're not going to be able to picture this in your mind. Our perceptions of things are different, aren't they? What you perceive about something, someone else might look at it at the same time and perceive something differently. I think of a man who was driving in the country one day and he saw an old man sitting on a fence watching cars go by. So he stopped, got out of his car, had a little time to kill and he stopped and talked to this man sitting on a fence and he said, I never could really like living out here because you know, I, I, you don't see anything out here. You don't travel like I do. I'm on the go all the time. And the old man looked at the stranger and he said, well, I can't see much difference in what I'm doing and what you're doing. I sit on the fence and watch the cars go by. You sit in your car and watch the fences go by. <laughs> it's just the way you look at things. How do you view God? What's your perception of God? You're going to describe God to someone. What's your perception of him? You know, a lot of people have a misconception about God. The man upstairs. He's not the man upstairs. He's not a man for one thing. Uh, maybe they're talking about Jesus when they say that, but I don't think so. One little girl asked her dad, asked her father, Daddy, what's God like? The question sounded innocent enough, but when you tried to describe that to a five-year-old, he decided he couldn't do it, and he gave the answer that so many fathers do. He said, go ask your mother. <laughs> so she went to her mom and asked the question, Mom, what is God like? And the mom soon realized she had no adequate answer for her daughter, so she said, honey, why don't you ask your Sunday school teacher? So the following Sunday, she asked her Sunday school teacher, what is God like? And the Sunday school teacher said, honey, why don't you ask your mom and dad? 
The little girl thought to herself, she said, if, if I had lived with God, as long as my mom and my dad and my Sunday school teacher, I think I would be able to tell a little girl what he's like. And of course, you can always count on children to give you good answers. One lady wrote these words. She said, my grandson was visiting one day when he asked, Grandma, do you know how you and God are alike? She said, I mentally polished my halo while I asked, no, how are we alike? And he said, you're both old. <laughs> this chapter is about God. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but section at a time. So we're going to take it as we go for time's sake. First, I want you to begin with me in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, that I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzzi, the, in, the, of, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now, don't skip over these verses thinking, well, this is just the introductory stuff because there's something very significant here. You need to keep in mind that this man is surrounded by doom and gloom. He's an exile. And so what does he see here? He sees the sufficiency of God. Now, think about it. Ezekiel has been captured. He was a priest and right here in this exile, the heavens are opened, and while others saw nothing but despair, Ezekiel saw the divine. And when others saw God's wrath, Ezekiel saw God's will and word. While others saw gloom, Ezekiel saw God, and he saw his sufficiency. It may have been a new thought to Ezekiel because he was trained as a priest in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem was the temple where God dwelt, they said, or God met man in the Holy of Holies in the, the, the chamber there at the Ark of the Covenant. And, and they had been taught that this land was theirs and to be taken out of Jerusalem, to be taken out of Judah was sort of the opposite of the Exodus because they came out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Now they've been exiled out of that and for a Jewish person, especially a priest, to think if I'm away from the temple, if I'm taken out of my land, I've been taken away from my God because God dwells there. And yet, we see that this answers the fact that God is definitely with them. They had not lost their God You and I need to understand that. Even though they were exiled, God needed no temple. You do realize that God is not limited to the last place that you saw him. You know, God, God shows up in unique ways and at unique times, doesn't he? You do know that God doesn't live in this building. 
I can remember growing up across the street from the church building and we lived in the parsonage. And so it was not unusual for my dad, who's in this room, to send me across the street to set up something for Sunday or fill up, put Cokes in the Coke machine or whatever, you know, it, and we would do there. And, and I could go through that building in the dark after a while. Especially came in handy when the GAs had sleepovers there. And <laughs> we put the fear of God in them. That's a whole nother story. But I can, I can remember, I was never afraid to run through that building, but I never really wanted to go in the auditorium, the, the worship center by myself. Because that, to me, I thought, if God's going to appear to me in this building, it's going to be in that room. God does not live in the building. He is with us. He is sufficient. And some, some of you may be troubled today thinking, well, you know, there's two responses to God. Either you run from him or you run to him. And the people who are away from God run and try to hide like Adam did when he sinned. Instead of us who are the children of God through Jesus Christ, we run to him. But what I want you to see is that the news is that God is not limited to one spot. He's not limited to your circumstances. The prophet is so stunned by all of this, what he sees that we're told in chapter three that he doesn't speak for seven days. He's not even sure how to put all this into words. So the first thing I want you to know is that the sufficiency of God is God's not limited in any one spot. He's with us all the time. We're gonna see this and again. The second thing he sees is the supremacy of God. Now, once you begin reading in verse four, we're gonna, we're gonna see some descriptions of God here, or some attributes, I should say, um, because God is inexhaustible. He's incomprehensible. He is indescribable. God, Hezekiah, I mean, Hezekiah, Ezekiel is, 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 is hesitant. In fact, you're gonna see that through this description that he uses words like it looked like this or it was the appearance of or the form of because you're going to see you're going to see symbolism here trying to describe truth and it's hard to grasp we are finite in our thinking God is infinite and I would imagine we would have the same kind of trouble trying to describe God in this way it begins with a whirlwind. Look at verse four. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and the brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Isn't it interesting it begins with a whirlwind? When God got ready to speak to Job in Job 38, he came in a whirlwind. When John, in the book of Revelation, several times, God opens up heaven and John says, I saw thunders and lightnings and flashes and earthquakes. Same thing is here. And what he's about to draw here, I'm just going to tell you now, if you try to draw this, it's going to drive you crazy. I, side note, when you have time, do a search on the internet 
type in Ezekiel 1 illustration. And you'll see all kinds of drawings where they tried to draw this. And, and sometimes it might help you get a little better grasp of it. And some of them even made a, a, a moving drawing of it. And they read the scripture with it. Now, nobody knows for sure, but I thought you might find it interesting to see what some people have, have drawn up as a result of it. But here's what, it, let's get, look at verse five. And from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each, had, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each touched one another and two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward. They went wherever the spirit wanted to go and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. That makes sense to you? <laughs> What's all that about? He had a vision of the cherubim. We know he's talking about that because he repeats it in chapter 10, verse 15 and and verse 20, this is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Chebar, and I knew that they were the cherubim. Now, when you think about a cherub, what do you think about? Most of you may have one. You think of some little cute cherub. But the cherub or the cherubim, this is plural, were the guardians of God's holiness. When they show up, it's an indication that God is present. They are the executors of God's will. The first cherubim you find in the scripture is in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden and there's a flaming sword guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden and the cherubim are there. The cherubim were mentioned in the tabernacle. They were designed on the mercy seat. The cherubim are mentioned in the temple in the book of Revelation. There's evidently a reference to the cherubim in the four living creatures. Each of the four living beings had the form of an appearance of a human, but they were not human, verse five tells us. They had the likeness of a man. In other words, you, you can think of them in human form without being human. And these four strange creatures had four faces. The face to the right was of a lion. The second face pointing to the left was like an ox. Pointing to the rear was the face of an eagle. 
pointing forward as the face of a human. And because these four living creatures carried the throne of God, you see the characteristics of God here. What does all this mean? They're looking every direction, which is the four points on a compass. You see, God's omnipresence. You see, God, in fact, he goes on to say, they have four wings. Their movement was like lightning. They didn't have to turn to go anywhere. They just all went forward and they move around like lightning. I'm wondering if Ezekiel had a hard time looking at them because they're moving so quickly. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. The spirit moved them. I think the lion represents God's strength and ferocity, his courage. The ox represents strength. The eagle is the swiftest and noblest of all the birds and human face representing intelligence, some of the attributes of God. And what God is saying to Ezekiel, I I want you to get a vision of my glory. I want you to understand through this vision of the cherubim that wherever the cherubim goes straight, moving according to the movement of the spirit, I want you to know I'm everywhere. You, You do know God is everywhere. That's what the word omnipresence means. Omni meaning all, ever present. What does that mean to you and me? That means no matter where you go, God is there. Now, if you think about it, whatever you're facing, God is there. Maybe you're in the land of captivity, he's there. One rabbi asked the children, now children, can you tell me why there is only one God? And one little girl waved her hand and said, there's only one God because he is everywhere, so there's no room for any other God. That's a great answer, isn't it? One writer put it this way, we can never talk about God behind his back. We can't speak of God in his absence. The God who is being discussed is also there. The attitude people take to him can never be merely theoretical. To deny God is to spite him to his face because he's everywhere. You can't go any place that God's not there no matter what circumstances you're going through. Ezekiel's in exile. God's there. Look what he sees next. If you think that was confusing, verse 15. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl, And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved, they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome, and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. 
When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because where the spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, they went. These went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were filled up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up from together with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. I actually saw one of those documentaries on television about people that were talking about UFOs and flying saucers and stuff. And they even pulled out this passage, a wheel within a wheel, like a flying saucer. I don't think that's what he's describing. I think he's describing more like if this is the wheel and you have another wheel that's down in the center of it. So it's, it's like two wheels in the like this so that it can roll this way or roll this way, more like a gyroscope. It could move any direction without turning. And did you notice that the wheels have eyes in them? And everywhere the wheels went, the eyes went. What is Ezekiel trying to say? He's trying to say that God sees everything. It's a picture of his omniscience. Omni meaning all. Omniscience means to know all, to know everything. Ezekiel, I know everything. I know the people's hearts that you're going to speak to that aren't going to listen. I know all about everything. I know everything. Do any of you ever think that something happens down here on the earth and God said, I never dreamed that would happen? <laughs> How did that happen? No, God is not that. God knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what you're wearing. What does that tell us? Maybe you've had a real problem this week or you've had something hit you that's very tough or, and you haven't known what to do. God knew all about it before it happened. God's not ever taken by surprise. He may not answer us the way that we want him to answer us, but God knows everything. He knows everything that's best. He knows what the future holds. God knows. You can't, you can't ever say, God, where were you when this happened? Or did you know this happened to me? God's omniscient. We see a third attribute, verse 22. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty. A tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. 
Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire with brightness all around. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. He's at a loss for words to describe what he sees. He compares his vision to burning coals of fire and torches and flashes of lightning and sparks darting back and forth. Yet none of these images adequately describe the brilliance or the radiance that he sees. And the message here is that this is the throne or God is on his throne. What does Ezekiel learn? He learns that God is all-powerful, his omnipotence. He, omni, meaning all, potent, meaning power. God is all-powerful. God can do anything. You really believe God can do anything? Ephesians tells us that he can do anything that we can even think. He can do exceedingly abundantly all that you ask or think. What's that mean for you here in Lubbock, Texas? It means there's no problem you're going through that God can't walk you through it. I didn't say you'd take it away. But God can handle it. Can God do anything? You know, there's some trick questions. I can I'm gonna name a couple of things that God can't do. He cannot lie. He cannot contradict himself. I got amused at some Sunday school teacher asked her class was talking about the omnipotence of God. God can do anything. He's all powerful. Do you understand that? Uh, and one little boy... She asked the question, is there anything God can't do? And one little boy who happened to be the pastor's son raised his hand. And she thought, well, he just misunderstood. There's no, you know, and so finally she kind of raised her eyebrows and said, all right, tell me, what can God not do? And he said, my daddy said that even God couldn't make everybody in this church happy. You needed to laugh a little bit. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. The Bible says that our God is, can do exceedingly, abundantly all that you ask or think. Our God is a God of awesome power. King Louis XIV of France died in 1715. He had reigned for 72 years. And he often referred to himself as the great. I am the great. He actually coined the phrase or made the phrase famous, I am the state. And as you can imagine, his court was the most magnificent in Europe. And when he died, his funeral was spectacular. His body was laid in a golden coffin 
Orders were given that the cathedral would be dimly lit. They didn't have electricity then. Would be dimly lit and only a candle would be placed above his head to dramatize his greatness. Thousands came to the funeral and the bishop, Massillon, began to speak. And when he did, he reached down and he snuffed out that candle and he said, only God is great. Not any man, only God is great. Now in verse 28, we see what Ezekiel did. Look at the last part of verse 28. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. You see the submission before God. He fell on his face. It makes perfect sense. If you and I had been there, we would have done the same thing. When we see God for who he truly is, our only appropriate response is humility. The word humility comes from the word hummus, which means dirt. We put our face in the dirt. We came from the dirt. And when you come before God, you don't stand there in your arrogance and pride. You stand there knowing that you are a creation. He is the creator. That he is God and you and I are not God. The uh, children's letters to God are always fun to read. Wayne wrote this. He was 11 years old. Dear God, my dad thinks he is you. Please straighten him out. <laughs> well, when you come before God, he's going to straighten you out. You humbly come before God. and You know, I, I think one thing that disturbs me is that people seem to have such a casual attitude about God because they've, he is the God of grace and he's the God of forgiveness and the God of love and he does love us. But you and I need to remember he knows all things. He is everywhere and he is all powerful. He is God and we need to fear him not in the sense of afraid, but to reverence him and to acknowledge him in our lives and, and to realize that he is God. Our place before a holy God is always humility. And that's the only way you can come to know him as your savior. You see, a lot of people won't come to God because they don't want to admit that they're wrong, that they've sinned, that they're separated from God, and they don't want to admit that they're going to have to face God one day. We're all going to face God. You're either going to face him as the father or you're going to face him as the judge. It's all going to happen. I don't understand why people don't come to a God who said, I'm everywhere, I love you, I'm all powerful, I want you. Why don't people come to him? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not face judgment but have eternal life. Amen. If you don't know God, you know, he loves you. 
the one who created the universe. We're, we're celebrating they landed, they landed that ship on Mars. Took, took a long time to get there. God created all of this. If you don't know God, you can know him today through Jesus Christ. It comes through faith. You can't earn it. You'll never pay him back. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And you can receive him now. You can go from being separated from God to his family right now. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I lift up those who may be listening online, they may see this on television, they may be in this very room, but they need you as their savior. Help them to see how much you love them, how you will save them through Jesus Christ. If they will turn from their sin, seeking your forgiveness, believing in their heart that Jesus died for their sin and rose again, they'll be saved today. Lord, please save the lost today. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we use your name so lightly. We show so disrespect. We, we have such a casual attitude about you. I pray, Lord, for those who need a church home. If this is where you want them to be, then you'll bring them. This is your church. These are your people. I pray for those who need to be baptized. Oh, they've been saved, but they've not been baptized. The first act of obedience and identification with you help them, Lord, to see that that's not to be taken lightly. So, Lord... Forgive us for our casual attitude. Forgive us for forgetting who you really are. Help us to always have this vision that you're with us wherever we go. You know everything we say. You know everything we think. And Lord, you have the power to walk us through anything. I pray for deliverance for those who are struggling. Lord, I... I know that you know all things and sometimes you don't answer the way we thought you should have, but we still trust you. If you're watching us online or if you're in here, one of the ways that you can respond and let us help you and is by texting the word living hope, one word, no, no space, living hope. 474747. Just share with us the information about your decision and we can call you on the telephone and talk to you about your relationship with God. You can write it on that card you can, that's out there and you can drop it in the box or you can catch us here up at the front after we're dismissed and we'll be glad to talk with you about knowing the Lord or praying with you about something on your heart today. So Lord, I, I pray for those today who right now are making commitments to you, that you give them courage to respond, to hit the connect button online or to text living hope, whatever, God, I pray that the people would respond, that somebody would come to know you today.
And Lord, we are reminded and refreshed and we remember who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.